Good morning, everyone. Yeah, if we have met, my name is Paul, and uh, it's good to be with you this morning. A farmer went out to sow some seed, and as he was scattering, some of the seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked the plants. And according to Jesus, who told that story, that may well be like some of us in this room today. We hear the word of the gospel, the word about Jesus, but gradually, slowly, over time, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things, they come in and they choke the word out of us to death. I reckon that's one of the scariest stories Jesus told. Because you see, according to Jesus, our worries, our deceptions, our desires may well choke some of us to death. And it's about that danger that God wants to speak to us today. So I'm going to pray. I invite you to pray with me. I'm going to pray that God would help us to understand his word properly and to respond rightly to it. So how about we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible. And as we come to uh, think about it together for a few minutes, we want to pray that you'd help us to understand it, but that in understanding it, Father, it actually might change us so that we might obey it. That we, we want to be people, Father, who take you at your word. And I guess, uh, well, that's a somber start to our time together. And so we thank you, Lord God, that you actually speak to us in your word about serious things. And we want to take you seriously. We don't want to be mucking around together here, Father. We want to think seriously about serious things. And so we ask you to help us to do that as well. As you speak to us, Father, about life and death, help us to choose life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, actually, it was last Sunday that we began across our four churches looking at uh, the letter of James, and but it was pretty lonely here in Morning Church last week because uh, you guys are obviously on your camp. And I said hello to a couple of people who came, <coughs> not realizing that it was church wasn't on. But uh, so we actually began across the other three churches looking at chapter one, verses one to twelve. Um, and uh, you can listen to the talk on the uh, webpage if you'd like to and have a read of it uh, yourself. But let me just fill you in on the very quick detail. In the first 12 verses of James chapter 1, we discover that James is writing to Christians who are scattered through the nations, Christians who are under having a hard time, they're facing troubles and hardships. And the letter of James opens with a call for endurance, a call for endurance and even joy in the face of trials and hardships. Let me read to you verse 12 from chapter 1 because that's where we ended last time and it's a good place for us to begin today. So chapter 1 and verse 12, let me read it for you. It says, Blessed is the person 
who perseveres under trial, because when they have stood the test, they'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That's where we ended last week. We face trials and James calls upon us to face those trials uh, with joy. But of course, whenever we face trials and hardships, even as a Christian person, there is a darker alternative to joy, isn't there? And so as James began his letter, he talked about the positive opportunity that trials might bring, positive opportunities for growth in maturity and completeness, but there's also a negative opportunity, isn't there? And so really our passage this morning, today, James turns to consider that more negative opportunity. James warns us of a deadly deception when we face trials and hardship. So point one on your outline, and have a look at verse 13 with me. James says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. At first glance, it might appear that you know, James has changed topics with that verse. He's dealt with trials, chapter, verses 1 to 12, and now he's moved on to temptation, verse 13. But I want you to think about it for a moment, because I think when you do, you'll see that, for, that every trial is at the same time always a temptation. A trial is always at the same time a temptation. If you like, it's almost like a trial is an external hardship, something coming to us from outside of us. But at the same time, it always creates within us an internal difficulty. It's as we face trials that we always face the decision, will I or won't I trust God in this? Will I or won't I trust God in this? See, every trial is always at the same time a temptation. So James hasn't changed topic. He's, just, he's still zeroing in on our response to trials. He's just now considering this dark alternative to trials. And he first of all warns us of a false trial, a false trial. And the false trial is that whenever you face hardships or trials of many kinds, the false trial is to accuse God of tempting you into evil. See, when you are tempted, when you're under trial or hardship, it's a terrible error, James says, to say it's God who's tempting you into evil or that somehow God is the one pushing you away from him into the arms of evil. That's an error, James says. But of course, it's the classic human default position, isn't it? Whenever we're in trouble, whenever we're under hardship, the classic human default position is to blame someone else. So this is Adam back in the garden, back in Genesis chapter 3. This is Adam having failed to trust God, failed to trust God's word. This is having Adam having turned away from the goodness of God. And then he's confronted by God about his disobedience, okay? And Adam's response, do you remember it? Adam said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. There's the classic response. It's her fault, God. It's your fault, God. And Adam's words have been passed down his family line through time, even to us. Because they're often our words too when things are hard, when we're under trial. It's your fault, God. If you hadn't put me in that position, I wouldn't have failed. I wouldn't have fallen. Don't blame me. How was I supposed to get through that? It was just too hard. But James says that's a false trial. 
That's a blasphemous false trail because the living and true God of the Bible is holy. And in his holiness, he cannot look upon evil. His eyes are too pure. He cannot tolerate wrong. There is nothing in God whatsoever that might induce him to evil. And so he would never, ever delight in someone else being led to evil. He would never lead anyone else into failure. God, who cannot be tempted by evil, James says, would certainly not tempt anyone else into evil. That's a false trial, to blame God for our failures under trial. In fact, James says the answer lies much closer to home. So have a look at verse 14 with me. James chapter 1, verse 14. James says, But each one is tempted when by his own desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James describes for us there, verses 14 and 15, a deadly path, a path to death. It's the very opposite, really, of verse 12 that I read at the start. Remember that one? Endurance under trial leading to life. This is a path to death. And the first thing to note is that the one who walks down this pathway has no one to blame but themselves. Did you see it? It's by our own desires, James writes, that we attempt it. Can't blame God. Can't blame anyone else. Each one is tempted, James says, when by their own desire they are dragged away and enticed. Can't even blame the devil. Can't say, oh, the devil made me do it. It's down to us. It's by our own desires that we attempt it. And look again how James describes this deadly path there in verse 14. He says, you know, we need to know it so we don't walk down it. He says, by our own desire, we are dragged away and enticed. And I want us to think about that for a moment together if we can. See, because when we face that trial, when we face that hardship, what makes it a trial, what makes it a hardship, is that we don't get what we want. We don't get maybe what we feel that we deserve. We don't get what other people seem to be getting. It's hard because it's different than what we expected. It's less than what we expected. That's what makes it hard. So I want you with me just now, and just in your own mind, I want you to identify in your own mind what's the hardest thing you are facing in your life right now. Just take a moment to identify it. What's the hardest thing that you are facing in your life right now? might be just a new thing. It might have been a long-term thing. What's the hardest thing you're facing in your life right now? Identify that for me in your mind. And now I want to ask you, think about what makes it so hard? What makes it so hard? What are you missing out on? What are you getting that you feel you don't deserve? What is it about the hardship, the trial that is less than what you expect? What makes it so hard? See, they're really important questions to ask because they are tapping into your desires. The hardship is hard because a desire is being unfulfilled in some way. And let me say, the desire may not be wrong. You may, for example, desire a a godly marriage. You may desire good health. You may desire better friends. You may desire a bigger or a better family. You may desire a more satisfying job. 
The desire may not be wrong in itself, but it's important to recognise that the hardship is hard because the desire is unfulfilled and we need to be alert to the danger of unfulfilled desires. Because according to James here, it's our desires that leave us vulnerable to temptation. It's, our, it's by our desires that we are enticed and even dragged away. Look again at verses 14 and 15. See what he says? It's our desires that can conceive and give birth to sin, which when full grown gives birth to death. And I reckon that's terrible imagery, don't you? That's deliberately stark and shocking. Conception and birth should lead to the celebration of life. But here in this chain that James is describing for us, it leads only to death. How might that happen? What might this pathway to death look like for us in our lives? Can I say that's a trickier question to answer from up front here? Because the pathway will look different for each person and each desire. So what I want to do is I'm just going to take a moment or two to suggest a couple of examples of how this might look. And you'll need to prayerfully think through how it might work for you with your particular hardship you're thinking about in your mind and your particular unfulfilled desire. Here's some examples. So think about the man, the husband, who is discontent with the attention and the affection that his wife shows him. He has this dream of married life, what he imagined it would always be like. just doesn't seem to match reality. His wife seems constantly distracted by the fact she's a mum. And she doesn't really have much energy left for him. Their sex life is almost at zero. They fight lots. She seems to be always criticising him. And so work has become a bit of a refuge for him, a bit of a hiding place. And you see he's in great danger of being dragged away and enticed. And then there's that woman at work who, she just gets him. She laughs at his jokes. She asks him how he's going, takes his ideas seriously. And it's innocent at first, but occasional chats become more frequent and longer and deeper. And there's the meeting of eyes across the room at work. There's the fact that he's never, ever mentioned her at home. And he begins to imagine what it would be like to be with her, to make love to her. And by his own desire, he is dragged away and enticed and desire conceives and gives birth to sin. And sin, if it is allowed to fully grow, will lead only to death. No marriage, no Jesus, no life. Or the woman whose desire is for companionship, for a soulmate, but it's unfulfilled. And the desire leads her to give herself to romance novels that fuel and feed her imagination. And she slowly and gradually begins to wonder, why would God put her in such a position? Why would God make it so hard? Nothing wrong with wanting a husband. She deserves a husband. Why is God holding out on her? And she notes with growing spite the contentment of all of her married friends. And she resents the fact that in the Bible, God says a believing woman should marry only a believing male. 
And can you see it, how her desire makes her so vulnerable? She's in great danger of being dragged away and enticed. Can you see all the weeds that are growing up around her? She's in such danger of turning her back on God and walking down a pathway that leads only to death. Well, there's the person who craves security, the security really of material things, of money, but through the deceitfulness of wealth is dragged away into the slavery of gambling addiction, whose heart is stolen from Jesus by lotto tickets and the false hope they hold out. Or this is the teenager who just wants to be liked, just wants to fit in, just wants to be accepted, and they're just so tired of being on the outer, and they want to be part of the in crowd. And see, their desire makes them so vulnerable, so easy to be dragged away by that desire, and so they find themselves making such foolish decisions because they've given themselves to pleasing people now and not God. Their trust, they trust in popularity to save them, and it can't. Or this is the person who's just weary of how hard it is to be a Christian. Weary of, you just got to think about so much all the time. Just weary about having to be different, not like everyone else. Just weary of the responsibility that comes with being a Christian. And that desire is growing into discontent and resentment and bitterness. And from every magazine and every TV ad and from the, from the people at work, the easy life is beckoning. The life that, you know, you can just make decisions that suit me. I don't have to make decisions that have to fit in with everyone else anymore. And slowly, gradually, that longing is seen in the person's choices. And time spent around other Christians gradually slows because they just make you feel guilty anyway. And they are in great danger. Folks, you need to prayerfully join some dots for your own situation, your own life. But let me tell you, or let God tell you, each one is tempted when by his own desire he's dragged away and enticed. And after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. This is a word from the Lord God to you today. Not to the person next to you, but to you as you face the trials of life. Because that trial, that hardship comes as a temptation. A temptation to give up because it's too hard. A temptation to give up on God. A temptation to seek to have your desires met somewhere other than God. So can you think with me again about that hardship in your life right now? What makes it so hard? What are you missing out on? What are you getting that you feel you don't deserve? What desire is being thwarted, you know, not met, left empty? Got to ask those questions because our Heavenly Father is warning us today that that unmet desire is just a slightly open door onto a very dangerous path, a deadly path. And we must not walk down it. So how are we to shut the door? How are we to resist the temptation? How are we to avoid the path? What's well, really to answer those vitally important questions that James goes on to remind us of a truth. He's talked about a deception, now he wants to remind us of a truth. Because it's only truth that can protect us from deception. 
And let me tell you, the truth that James reminds us of is empowering. To hold on to this truth, to believe this truth, is to shut the door, really to slam the door on the deceptive pathway of death. So point two on your outline and have a look at verse 16 with me. Let me read verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. So we're not to be deceived. Temptation doesn't come from God. Enticement to evil doesn't come from God. Harm or hurt is not God's desire for us. God doesn't shortchange us. God doesn't rip us off. Don't be deceived. Don't fall for the same lie that Eve fell for back in the garden, back in Genesis chapter 3. Remember the lie? The question was this, did God really say you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? Hear the lie behind it? What a stingy God. You can't trust him to make things right. You can't trust him to fulfill your desires. You can't trust him. James says, don't be deceived. From God, verse 17, from God comes every good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from a generous God. In fact, you know what? The way James originally wrote it was this. Every good giving and every perfect gift is from above, from God. Sounds a bit clumsy in English, doesn't it? A bit repetitive. Every good giving, every perfect gift. Why would James write it like that? Because he doesn't want us to be deceived. He wants us to get it. When our desires are unfulfilled, when life is hard, when we are facing trials of many kinds... James doesn't want us to be tricked, to be deceived into thinking, well, maybe we might be better somewhere else other than God. He doesn't want us to fall for the lie that the grass is greener somewhere else other than God, other than doing things God's way, other than being in God's family, because it isn't. How could it be? Every good giving and every perfect gift comes only from above, from God, from our Heavenly Father. And if you doubt his ability to deliver, check out James' description of him in verse 17. He says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He's the Father of the heavenly lights. In other words, our heavenly Father is the creator of the universe. Those stars, those galaxies, billions of kilometers away, he put them there. He put them there. He rules them. He knows them by name, we're told in the Bible. And James is saying, the God who made all of that, if you belong to Jesus, the God who made all of that, we get to call him Dad. Isn't that stunning? You look like stunned mullets. Is that not stunning? (laughs) That is stunning. We get to call him Dad. Don't be deceived. Don't ever doubt his ability to deliver. Don't ever doubt his ability to fulfill your desires to make things right. Don't ever think that there is someone or something else more worthy of your trust than him. Tonight, okay, switch off the telly and tonight, go out into your backyard and look up into the stars, the the incredibly small percentage of them that you can see. Consider the vastness of the heavens. And think about the fact that the creator and the sustainer of all of that is your heavenly father, the father of lights. I want you to do that tonight. And don't doubt his goodness. 
He's unchangingly good. He's constant in his goodness. You want to know how good he is? Verse 18. Look at it. Verse 18. James says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. How good is God? God chooses to bring people from death to life through the word of truth. In other words, through the gospel, the message of Christ Jesus. You've got to notice the stark contrast that James is drawing for us here. Remember verse 15? Desire conceived gives birth to sin, which gives birth to death. But God, in his goodness, in his grace and his mercy, he chooses to give us birth from death to life through Jesus. Through trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. And as good as that is, it gets even better, really. See the end of verse 18? James says, that, so that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. When I was a boy, I had an Action Jackson doll, which you can't get them anymore, tragically, I don't think. G.I. Joe, those sort of things. Very manly, much more manly than Ken and Barbie, that sort of Ken. But I had an Action Jackson doll. First thing I did when I got my Action Jackson doll, big fat texter, and across his chest I wrote, Paul, because he was mine. Of all the Action Jackson dolls in the world, this one was mine. And James says, you know what? If you belong to Jesus, that's you. And God has written across your chest in a big fat texter his name. Because God made everything. But of everything in creation, it's those who he brings to himself through Jesus that are especially his. That idea of a first fruits, James is picking up the language of the Old Testament sacrifice. Back then, when a farmer had, a, had to reap his harvest, um, he took the best of his harvest, the first fruits of his harvest, he, was, he set it apart to be especially belonging to the Lord God. And James says, look, if you belong to Jesus, that's you. You've become a kind of first fruits of all that he created. You've been set apart for him if you belong to Jesus. So when you belong to Jesus, God adopts you as his child and he makes his home with us by his spirit. So what does James say? Don't be deceived. Could there be a more privileged, more blessed? Could there be a better place to be than to be a Christian? James says, no. How could there be? There couldn't be a more privileged, more blessed, a better place to be than within the arms of a heavenly father so powerful and so good. And see, that truth is the empowering truth that allows us to say no to sin, to kick shut the door of temptation onto the pathway of death. When that trial and hardship comes along and you face the decision, will I or won't I trust God in this? It's the word of truth That empowers us to say, of course I'll trust God in this. And I'll kick shut the door on any alternative that is always less than God. James is pointing us to the gospel of Christ Jesus and saying, that is the complete and perfect answer to the danger posed by any unfulfilled desires. And you know what? The gospel of Jesus tells us that Christ himself is able to sympathize with us even in our trials and our hardships, because he faced them too, yet never walked through that door. And the Bible tells us that in Jesus we find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. 
So, brothers and sisters, we need to speak the word of truth to each other. We need to speak the gospel to each other whenever we can. As we gather as church, we've got to keep on talking about the gospel of Jesus. It's great to sing songs about the gospel of Jesus. You bump into each other um, during the week, we should speak up Jesus to each other because it's only when we believe the truth of Jesus that all of those other alternatives which are duds, fakes, bogus, It's only with the gospel of Jesus firmly planted in our heart and mind that we can recognise them to be duds and we kick shut the door on those alternatives. Let me tell you, our Heavenly Father, the Father of lights, He loves His people. He is for His people. He didn't even spare His own Son, but gave Jesus up for His people that they might be saved from their sins, washed clean on the inside. And how could we think, if we belong to Jesus, how could we think, how could we possibly think, no matter how hard life may be, how could we possibly think that if God has already given us his very best, how could we possibly think that he's going to hold back anything from us now? He won't. He's for us. Jesus is for us. And in him we find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. So don't be deceived. Don't fall for fakes. Don't choose second best rather than best. Because you know what? Blessed is the person who perseveres under trial. Because when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised. Promised. Promised to those who love him. We want to finish full of running, don't we? How about we pray? Just take a moment to talk to God yourself, just in the quietness of your own heart and mind, just a few moments. Father, thank you for dealing with us seriously about serious things. And I want to continue to pray, Father, that you'd help us to ponder them carefully. Father, thanks for warning us about the deception that puts each one of us in danger. And I want to pray, Father, that you might convince and convict every single one of us today about just how great the word of truth is, how great the message about Jesus is. We want to be convinced of that, Father, because we want to be able to, to spot fakes. We don't want to go through that doorway onto the path of death. Father, we want the crown of life that you promised to those who love you. And Father, some of us have gone through that door have walked down that path and we're grateful father for the mercy and help of jesus in our time of need and each day as we face trials father we're in need because we want to choose to trust you and not something less than you and so please help us and father help us to focus in our minds and hearts 
on the message of Jesus, the word of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.